welcome to another installment of Car Stories brought to you by the Peterson Automotive Museum. I'm Brad Spears, our driver today, Jeff Rodriguez, pretty much runs the track at Thermal Club. As you might imagine, we're not in Los Angeles. We're in Thermal, California at the Thermal Club on track too in the 2004 final edition Lotus Esprit. Twin turbo. Twin turbo. You were, you were mentioning your first car 1966 VW Beetle. <laughs> With an engine that didn't work. With a blown motor. My dad purchased for $100. At that time, I was thinking like, you know, 68 Camaro, maybe, uh, you know, Challenger or Mustang. But it was a 66 buck that I had to learn to rebuild the engine if I was going to be out driving in the world. Which you did. Which I did, which started my love affair for Volkswagen, especially air-cooled, air-cooled Porsches and, and VWs. I, I love them. I, I still wish I had another one. At some point, I will. Uh, but I've always loved the little VW Beetle. It was one of the most awesome, fun cars. And, and really what taught me all the basics of mechanics that, you know, that's carried me on through today. All right, because you're a driver, you're a racer, you're a mechanic. What do you not do? Uh, can you that, cook? I can cook. Right. Probably about the only thing that I don't do. I'm trying to think. I do it. I always like to joke. I'm kind of the jack of all trades, a master of none. So, always <laughs> done out of necessity. You know, of things that I've needed to learn. If it's welding or machining or fabricating or whatever it may be, especially with cars. I've just always loved cars. My first passion was that of motorcycles. I you know, grew up, my heroes were Kenny Roberts, Barry Sheen, Dick Mann, uh, Gene Romero, Corky Keener, All right. the flat trackers of, you know, of the 70s when I lived in Houston. Every year we had the, um, the uh, flat track and TT that would come to the Houston Astro. And I'd always went and then I would, I grew up racing motorcycles, dirt bikes. Uh, as a kid, we, you know, I was blessed with a lot of wide open spaces and uh, living around the Houston area at the time. And, uh, you know, my, my dream was to be, you know, the next Kenny Roberts. Unfortunately, my mom was not sharing that same dream, but I, <laughs> Understandable. I, I loved cars. My dad was Formula One fanatic. Can-Am at the time was hugely popular. Oh, yeah. uh, reading Auto Week, comp, well, what was Competition Press back then, and Road and Track. I think still to my day, my dad's been taking Road and Track since the 50s, and so he reads it religiously. So that's where I caught the bug from him. And then with that, the love for Lotus cars, which is, uh, which is, you know, which is why we're in this today. Well, yeah, that's why we're in this V8. Um, you know, he grew up with, he had Europas, which were neat cars, but certainly kind of a strange looking car. People always refer to him as kind of the bread wagon. But, um, <laughs> but the, you know, with Colin Chapman's concept of, you know, uh, you know, of lightweight cars uh, performance wise, uh, you know, he was able to go out and win races against cars that were 
much faster, more powerful than the one that he was be entering. But the fact his cars were lighter, more nimble, some some cases where fuel economy was important, he was able to show that you know an underpowered car, quote unquote, can win. And um, you know the Europa was a great car, but that was a car basically like a Formula Ford that you could buy for the street. You know, the first generation in 1967, I believe, weighed about. 1300 pounds which oh, wow. is unheard of um, but you know still to this day people who drive them say that it's the most amazing car they've ever driven at the um, uh, Rolex reunion what's the Lotus 11 it looks like a sled on wheels yeah you have the Lotus 11 which was a very lightweight uh, aluminum bodied car and uh, you know it's it, you know still hugely popular yeah. the Lotus 23 another popular car utilizing their twin cam engine but uh, for me, what really sealed the deal is when uh, they came out with the Esprit and seeing the James Bond movie for your eyes only. Um, and uh, when I saw that car, I was like, oh, yeah, one of these days I have to have one. And then, and then a, they only imported them for a short time, but, of course, the emission standards were getting tougher, and it was harder to get them to meet the emission standards. And, of course... Lotus was never on firm financial footing to begin with, but eventually they were able to scrape enough money and get investors together, which when they came out with the, the Turbo, which was an evolution of the original Esprit, which to me even looked better. And uh, about eight years ago, I finally got my hands on an 83. Uh, that was uh, black and gold, like the JPS, the John Player Special Colors, yeah. that I really loved. I restored that. Uh, over the course of several years and then uh, finally got to the point where I was able uh, to afford the V8. The V8 is one that I've really loved and enjoyed uh, and uh, but of course at a price point that I couldn't afford and eventually I was able to and, and I bought a 98 and I love that car. only had it for a short time before one of our members who uh, saw the car, says, oh my God, I always wanted those things, but I never knew anybody who could work on it. Let me buy yours. And I said, all right, sure. Which is a nice way of saying, let me buy yours because I know you. Yeah. And I can bring it back to you. Right. Which he knew that I would do a good job. So I went through the car, changed the turbos out, uh, rebuilt the transmission, did a lot of things to it just to make it more reliable and also just kind of uh, liven up a little bit. And right. of course... The sad days is when I did the sell it because it came out so nice. That thing was, the thing was a monster, and uh, I loved it. And that's like it's not so. A, it's not even like a sale. It's like you put it up for a dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I get to see it from time. I get visitation rights, so it's nice. So for those watching, the Thermal Club is a private motorsports club. So it's three racetracks, four if you include the 5.1, which you should, and uh, you can live here. So that's when he, when he says members. You know, members can come here and use the track, but they can also store their cars here, and they can they can also have a villa, which is trackside, which is really cool. So I'm sure you do see these guys all the time. Yeah. How, when did you, you know, did you cut your teeth in motorsport really at Skip Barber, or was there something before that? Jim Russell Racing School, 1990, uh, April Fool's Day, April 1st. So that should uh, say a lot about the, my decision making uh, and and getting into the life of uh, motorsport. Um, basically, you know, for me, it was like when I failed at everything else, I said, well, why not give motorsport a try? Why not? 
and uh, I, I tried to take the route of academia, going to school, couldn't hold my attention, still love racing from my days in the dirt bikes, and I love wrenching on cars, and so I see this ad in uh, Auto Week magazine of, hey, learn to be a, you know, a racing mechanic, and um, the catch was that you, you got to learn to be a racing mechanic, and this was at Laguna Seca Raceway with the Jim Russell Racing School, but you also get to race in the race series. Um, and they called this uh, mechanic training program, which when I saved my money for two years so I could afford to live and keep myself afloat uh, during that time, uh, once I got there, I realized what marketing was about because mechanic training program was essentially indentured servitude, but still to this day, it was the best year of my life. I, I worked for no money. Right. Uh, we, we put in some ridiculous hours, but during the race season on Sunday was the mechanics race, which was you know kind of like the caddy race. So it had to be the last race of the weekend because literally half the cars wouldn't make it back because of the carnage and but all the people that were racing those weekends you know you have it's an arrive and drive series so all of our customers that came out to race that was the one race that they wanted to watch because it was hammer and tong the whole time and and i it was it was great i loved it i had a ball i finished second in their race series and you know my time was up, and you know I was going to have to figure out what I was going to do next. And so I got offered a job to stay there to be an instructor, uh, which was great because you know my options were stay in Monterey, California, at Laguna Seca Raceway, teaching people how to drive race cars, or probably going back to Texas in the middle of summer roofing houses. So that decision, that decision <laughs> happened. A tough one. It happened rapidly. So. That's really how it all started, and from then on, it was just a, a lot of just uh, determination on my part just to continue in driving, which I realized that, you know, you need a small fortune to do so. I was very fortunate that I would find people who had cars that needed help. I would coach them, be able to get to get some seat time in their car, which then led into more of the uh, private coaching, which I did. Uh, for many years, then and then from the Jim Russell School, went through the Skip Arbor Racing School, AMG Driving Academy, uh, Ferrari Challenge Series, and then eventually found myself here at the Thermal Club. Yeah, how did uh, how did the Rogers, you know, find you, pluck you, bring you to Thermal, and and put you in charge of this? Well, one of our members, Jim Slavic, who's who's a fantastic guy, was. Um, a client, a customer of ours at Skip Arbor, and he and his sons used to come up and drive and race with us, and and then he went off and started doing his own gentleman racing in the uh, Porsche Pirelli Cup Series, and I happened to run into him at Circuit of the Americas where I was coaching and he was racing, and we haven't seen each other for a few years, and so we were just catching up, and he was telling me about being a member here at the Thermal Club. And I, I told him, yes, I was aware of the Thermal Club and that it was a project they were looking to get off the ground. And he said, well, it's happening because I'm a member. Well, that's, I said, well, that's great, Jim. And he goes, they're looking for a track manager. You should give them a call. And I said, okay, sure, I'll check into it. So 
I did, and over a series of months of interviews and visits, um, I ended up here. You know, it's Perfect. just, uh, you know, I always like to say of like, you know, when you're in motorsports, um, you know, I, I accrued 20 years of unmarketable skills that found a home. So here I am. <laughs> Not bad. So obviously we, you, you have members here that have a little bit of everything. Ideally, what would you like to now take, take your thermal cap off? What would you like to see happen with Thermal Club? Um, we have a Triple Crown Series. For me, you know, my passion and my love for motorsports uh, has never wavered. I, I love cars, I love racing, and the, the, the logical progression for any driver, and you know, we are a, you know, obviously a very high-end, luxury-oriented motorsport facility, and then while, you know, the, con the concept is you see these beautiful homes that line the track and with some very large garages that can be filled with all kinds of exotic cars, hypercars, uh, new and old, you know, drivers will begin driving in those cars on the track and eventually they'll see a race car or they'll drive a race car and then they're hooked. And, and so where, you know, where I want us to be is to help them make that progression so that when they decide they want to step up into say a Ferrari challenge car, super trofeo car, radicals, these radicals are hugely popular as track cars is that uh, we we help them move into the, those cars or whatever car they like uh, and do it safely and learn along the way because that's the thing that I kind of, if I brought anything from my previous motorsport experience is to have a lot of hands-on, um, give these people as much attention as they need in terms of gaining, getting their confidence and uh, their skill level uh, and because you never stop learning. And so we take a lot of, in today's world, with uh, computers, onboard uh, data, from steering angle to brake pressure to uh, throttle position, uh, to video videos that you can have looking at the driver, looking at the track. There's so many different ways we can advance that learning curve on their driving. Um, and and also to the type of cars they drive. Right. We have you know members that have vintage cars, up to the most current hyper cars you can buy, like the you know the Aston Martin uh, Vulcan, for example. And I hear there's a Valkyrie coming. And a Valkyrie is coming. Yeah, that's I, be good. I, the one thing I could say about working at Thermal, the arms race is alive and well because <laughs> yes, once these guys discover what these cars are, what is available, and the fact that they can learn to drive these cars and drive them well. You know, they're just like kids in a, you know, a, a toy store. You know, it's like, you know, it's it's not the necessarily the money, it's the time. But once they get to that uh, point of where they can get the time and they have the money, then they're gonna come out and enjoy themselves and enjoy themselves well they do. I can believe that. And I mean, what's the point of having all that power, all that performance, and then you just sit in LA traffic? Absolutely. You know, and also too, add in the fact that we're looking at autonomous cars and, you know, just... Like that just, I'm looking forward to because then I can just true go home. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you're starting to see that between autonomous cars, 
and driving services such as Lyft and Uber, uh, congestion is not going away. And in fact, in some places, I'm sure it's probably going up because of the access of transportation where you might been you might have been driving you know riding the bus or or some kind of mass transit but you know if you could just hit a, a button and then somebody appears in front of you willing to give you a ride you know that whole paradigm shifts i'm from california what is mass transit yeah exactly yeah i'll look i'll google that Ma later. Ma mass transit in, in la is everybody trying to go to the same the same destination that you are at that at that same time. Joyce befuddles me. Yeah. It's like, how'd you guys know? How'd you guys know? It's almost yeah. like there's 14 million of you. Right. Around. Exactly. All right. So if you if if you know I you have the uh, Amex the Centurion card, what car would you buy right now for yourself? Old, new, whatever. What would you want to have? Um, I'd say probably my, you know, if I had an all-time supercar that I can buy would be. Uh, for me, would be the Ferrari F40. Oh yeah! You know that is that is like a pure raw race car. That and also the F50. I had an opportunity to drive an F50, and the the funny story was is that there was a it was an art dealer from LA scared himself silly in this thing and his buddy says you know what you should go to racing school before you kill yourself so he drove it up to laguna seca one of the nicest people i ever met he goes here you got to go drive this thing it's really cool and i'm going like well you know i don't want to drive it no no go drive it and i drove it <laughs> this thing third gear stomped the throttle at 100 miles an hour would spin the wheels and this is this is before all the advancements you have nowadays with all the track controls or what's referred to as the nanny aids on the car this thing was unreal and uh what was funny is that um, brian herda that he was driving indy cars at that time happened to be a laguna seca and you know it, at that time indy cars were producing 900 horsepower so gonna, yeah not going to really impress him very much with a street car and I said, Brian, you got to drive this thing. He goes, ah, oh, no, no, it's all right. And I said, no, Brian, you really have to drive this thing. He drove it, and he himself was like, oh man. And uh, but yes, the Ferrari F40 was just a such a raw, raw car, and uh, that would be one car that I would certainly would love to be able to to own someday. I got to hand it to Ferrari. The thing that I always liked about Ferraris is they look great on the outside, but the inside was always kind of like the afterthought. Like the inside of the F40 looks like the back of a speaker box. Yes, and it's the, got like carpet everywhere. Yeah, and, and there's the very seating, fundamental buttons. Yeah, right, and the seating position fits no one. You know, it's <laughs> just that. Uh, uh, you know, it's from Italy with love. Right. You know, it's, you know where they talk about the story of where Lamborghini was born is when Mr. Lamborghini goes into Mr. Ferrari to complain about a new Ferrari he bought. And you know Enzo Ferrari is like, you concentrate on making tractors, I'll concentrate on making cars, you know. And you know where is that? You know it was his way or the highway. He didn't care. You know it's like I make Ferraris, you make tractors. Go away. You know. Now look where we're at. And look where we're at today. This has been fun though. Oh yeah, it's great. We're just doing doing laps on the, the yeah. North Palm Circuit at Thermal Club in a yeah 2004 Lotus Esprit, the final edition. The final edition.